Thanks for checking out this episode of the Guns and Tactics podcast. My name is Dave Tim. I'm your host, and I do want to thank you for spending a few minutes of your day listening to this episode. Now, this is a re-recording or a re-edit, if you will. A number of years ago, we interviewed Johan Boden. He is the national tech lead for Federal Ammunition Company, and he goes literally around the world consulting various government, military, law enforcement agencies on their preferred duty or defense type ammunition. When he is referred to as a ballistics expert, that is no exaggeration. He is literally a world leader ballistics expert, and he is truly a guy that has been there and done that. I'm not going to introduce himself, but he has quite an impressive resume, and I've gotten to know Johan over the years, and uh, I joke around about me not being an operator who operates operationally, but Johan truly has been an operator who operates operationally. He has done some around-the-world, real-world stuff, been there, done that type of a guy. So anyways, we did this video a number of years ago, about uh, five years, 2017, and unfortunately, the views didn't really take off. It didn't get too many views, and maybe that's my fault for the thumbnail or the title, but the knowledge that is in there is so great that I figured, you know what, we're going to re-edit this into a podcast because I believe that the interview portion of it would... uh, much better be a much better fit for the podcast. So without further ado, here is the ballistics interview with Johan Bowden from Federal ATK. The first part, we're going to talk about pistol ammunition, and then we'll transition into rifle ammunition. Thank you guys very much for watching and hope you enjoy the content. Today, I am honored and humbled to have a friend of mine, a longtime shooting companion and all around great guy, not to mention a ballistics expert, Johan Bowden from Vista Outdoors. Johan, thank you so much. Great to see you again, Dave. Great to see you. I, it was awesome experience every time I get to shoot with you, and for you to come up and uh, you know take a class and us to get to shoot together is, is always a great time. However, I had an ulterior motive when I saw you register, and that is I wanted to see if we could meet and talk ballistics. So, Johan, you are truly who I think of when I think of a ballistics expert. If I looked at the dictionary for ballistics guru expert, it's this guy right here. Uh, you work for Vista Outdoors. You're the law enforcement liaison for the law enforcement lines of ammunition. And generally when I have an ammunition question, whether it be for my duty use or, uh, you know, practice ammo, whatever, this is the guy that I ask. He's the resource that I tap. So having him here for you guys really, truly is a great resource. So awesome to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great, great time. So what I'm hoping we can kind of do is start out by just answering some ballistic basic 101, because there's times when I get a lot of these common questions and I'm hoping we can kind of you know, roll through them and you can kind of chime in with your expertise. Does that work for you? Absolutely. All right. So first off, the most common question I get, 9, 40, 45, 357 SIG, 45 gap. I don't know if I'm missing anything for popular <laughs> carry slash duty calibers, but does it, does it truly matter? Like what differences are we seeing now with modern ammunition? You know, it's a, it's a topic that's probably been written about and discussed, you know, in, in massive volumes over the last, I would say, 30, 30 years or so. And I think the, the landscape has changed somewhat. You know, most of us are by now familiar with what happened at the FBI Miami shootout, you know, where basically the, the 9 millimeter was viewed to have underperformed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, law enforcement as a whole transitioned to another caliber, the 40. Uh, if you look at it today, if you use premium LE or tactical ammunition, you can inflict the same damage on a human being with either of the major calibers. Okay. You know, we're, we're not talking, you know, 22 long rifle, 32, you know, the 25, the exactly. real small pocket yep. guns. But from a certain power floor on up, which I view to be nine millimeter, including then the 40, the 45s, the 10 millimeters, if you shoot into 
something resembling human tissue, most of the time it's, you know, 10% ordinance grade ballistic uh, gelatin, you will see virtually no more discernible difference between the calibers. And you know that being said, if you can inflict the same damage with all of them, you, I, I believe this is just my opinion, but I believe your main focus at that point should be what are you the most effective with? If you can deliver accurate, fast project, you know, accurate projectiles in a large number in the vital zone, that's what'll have you come out and hopefully see another day. We're hearing a lot about shot placement, you know, in the past, and I think that still kind of resonates. It's all about what you can shoot most effective and get your good hits on target. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the one that really struck me again was at that fairly recent shooting in St. Cloud, Minnesota, you know, yeah. where when individuals start stabbing people, was engaged and neutralized by an off-duty police officer, Jason Falconer. The, he used 10 rounds. He connected five times. This man is an excellent shot. Yeah. But both people are moving. Yep. You know, in, in and around all kinds of obstacles. Well, as today, you know, we learned moving and shooting a moving target can be very difficult. Yes, it, it really was driven home by you again today. You know, and, <laughs> and even people mortally wounded, and we see this all the time, people mortally wounded, they're not going to survive. That does not mean they're no longer a danger. Sure. This, this individual who did that, he was mortally wounded. He was down on the ground. He got up and walked out of the mall. Then he died later on. He was a threat all the way through. Yeah. So what we really need to focus on, both in law enforcement as, as well as people who defend themselves, is incapacitation, not lethality. You know, if, if we mortally wound somebody, but it's going to take them 10 minutes to become ineffective, well, we have a 10-minute-long horrible problem. Right. You know, what we're looking for is to, to incapacitate the human organism as quickly as possible. Stop that threat. Stop. That's exactly right. Stop the threat. And really, you know, as far as human beings go, doctors obviously know it a lot better. I'm no doctor, but there really are two effective ways that we know to, to neutralize a human being. One is obviously the CNS shot, central nervous system. It's a brain box, the spinal cord, very hard to hit. Evolution has armored it very well. Cheekbones, brows, jaws are all things that can stop and deflect bullets. The only other effective way is a term that we use that's called exsanguination. It's really a fancy word for bleed out. You know, when, when enough blood has left the body, blood pressure drops, shock sets in, your knees get weak, you get dizzy, you fall to the ground, et cetera, et cetera, and the fight is pretty much over. The, the way to accelerate that, because bleed out takes time, blood yeah. takes a while to leak out, the way to accelerate that is to use hollow point projectiles, namely to maximize the size of the projectile moving through the tissue. Versus like full metal jacket exactly. or practice rounds. Exactly. You know, the, unlike our, our military, which is still stuck with, with full metal jacket, thankfully in law enforcement, as well as in this country, as, as armed individuals, citizens, not subjects, uh, we're able to choose a very effective ammunition, which grows on impact. That's yeah. the hollow point, right? It gets right. bigger. And it, it really fulfills two functions. It maximizes the wound, uh, speeding up exsanguination. And the other part is it stops the bullet on time. Yeah. You know, a full metal jacket is very hard to stop effectively, and it becomes a danger for others who don't need to be shot. Sure. Well, and that was a, the question I had, you know, kind of going into this. I wanted to talk about caliber selection. And it, again, what I'm hearing from you is what I've, you know, kind of believed myself is that it doesn't so much matter as the caliber as choosing a quality round, a quality caliber, like that minimum power floor, being able to shoot it effectively to get your shots where you need to, and then, of course, using a quality ammunition. Yep. And then that kind of tied into another question I was wanted, I'm glad we are addressing is why would a permit to carry holder choose a hollow point or a defensive tactical type round versus a full metal jacket. And, you know, I work in law enforcement full time and I come in contact with permit to carry holders in my profession, students, things like that. And surprisingly, a lot of the people who I inventory and I just make casual conversation with a lot of people are still carrying, you know, just a standard ball round, a practice round as they're carrying. Well, because I hear excuses because it's cheap or sometimes people just don't know what they don't know. And I'm glad I'm hearing that from you. It's because we want it to expand. We want it to perform better. We want to worry about penetration issues. So I think we're we're doing a lot to 
choose a good, you're doing yourself a lot of service by choosing a good quality ammunition. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. So at what, at what point, seeing all the different ammunitions on the market, what should a permit to carry holder look for in a carry ammunition? A lot of the factors that are relevant translate from law enforcement to the to the armed civilian, uh, namely ammunition that is effective on, on, on human beings, that has a, an established street record, that is very successful in the trials that the FBI and other large agencies conduct. But I do believe uh, also, though, that the law enforcement requirement is a little bit more stringent than that of the civilian. The police officer is obligated to pursue. The police officer has to clear buildings where alarms are going, uh, is very often attacked by vehicles. As a matter of fact, it's one of the increasing trends in this country. People are trying to kill police officers yeah. with cars more and more every day, and cars are very, yeah. very potent weapons. So the police officer will find himself engaging somebody through windshield glass, most likely far more often than the armed civilian. The armed civilian is usually ill-advised to pursue. The law enforcement, the, the, the LEO is usually obligated to pursue. You know, there are very salient differences there. So windshield performance of a projectile, very important for law enforcement, is probably on a lower grade of importance for the armed civilian. Mm. However, the penetration numbers that the law enforcement officer wants, namely penetrating deep enough to traverse through the vital organs, destroy certain vital organs, cause the incapacitation that we've been talking about without dangerously over-penetrating and affecting other people who are uninvolved. Those criteria all carry through, I believe, yeah. on, on both of them. With you guys, you make quality ammunition. People will now probably ask, well, what should I carry? Do you have a recommendation of your lines? And you guys make some great ammo. You have Gold Dot, the Gold Dot 2, you have HST. You know, do you have any particular favorites that you would recommend? Not necessarily, you don't have to pick a, a one, but maybe a few products for people to look at so they can check your webpage to find more information about. Being that most of us civilians carry a fairly compact weapon, mm -hmm. resulting in a fairly short barrel, I tend to favor the ammunition that operates at very low velocities. Because a, a, a small weapon launches slower than a full-size weapon. Uh, we finally recognize that, and we as a company, Federal, as well as, as a CCI Spear, we have designed ammunition that is specifically tailored towards short-barrel handguns. Uh, the HST Micro would be one of those. Mm, great. Um, yeah. Yep, the Gold Dot short-barrel versions for those of us who carry, you know, uh, snub-nosed revolvers, th things of that nature. That is ammunition where the projectile is tailored towards the velocity window that that weapon generates. It's very important to do that. You don't want a big bonded round that uh, optimally operates at velocities generated by a long-barreled weapon and then you carry it in a short-barreled weapon and the bullet doesn't open up. You're, you're again, endangering others unnecessarily. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a lot of people just pick ammunition randomly or they pick HST and they put in everything. Where is it yep. going to perform differently out of your Glock 26 or 43 versus your 34 or 17? Very much so. And, yeah. you know, now, now the, all the, the, the rage these days is the, the pistol caliber carbine, yeah. which can be a very effective weapon if used correctly. But there again, bear in mind, you have barrels that are significantly longer than a handgun. What's optimal in your small handgun is definitely not going to be optimal in a, in a long-barreled weapon. The, the other thing I think that's important to me as somebody who carries ammunition is that the ammunition is protected against the environment. Mm. We sweat on our guns. They're, they're in the heat. They're in the extreme cold, at least where you and I live. Yeah. You know, the, the good quality ammunition, for example, has nickel-plated cases. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in that. You know, they don't tarnish. They don't corrode as quickly. Uh, we use something called mouth varnish. Or in the case of uh, Spear, it's called Black Lucas. It's a little trade name. But it's basically a sticky asphalt-like substance inside the case mouth that seals the juncture of the cartridge case mouth and the bullet, preventing contaminants such as water, sweat, etc., getting in and killing the powder. Equally important, then, is uh, the cyanoacrylate, the Loctite around the primer that prevents leakage getting in there, too, of any kind of liquid, cleaning materials and so forth. 
So again, that's things that we're not going to find in your practice ammo. That is correct. Nice. Practice ammo, I believe the, the, the major consideration is price, yeah. functionality. Yep. But, uh, you know, tactical ammunition or law enforcement ammunition, whatever term you want to use, yeah. uh, a lot more rides on it. You know, so there's a lot more scrutiny when we make it. Sure. And a lot more goes into it. When a lot of people just think about bullet and powder, that's the only right. difference, but it right. sounds like there's a lot more and that's really good, good points that you brought up. So one of the things we didn't talk about, and this is an issue I see a lot in law enforcement and probably just as much in the permit to carry holder world, things like that, is people that constantly unload and load their firearms, like almost a daily basis. I have some cops who unload their magazine, unload the round, put it in their locker, and then they come back the next day and they reload and you know go back to duty. And I, I try to harp on them that they shouldn't do it, but they don't always believe me because, you know, I'm just a local small town street cop. But evidently that's a bad thing, right? Very much so, very much so. You know, there, there's a certain spec we set for push and pull force on cartridges, which is bullet push and pull, pull force. We obviously want the cartridge to resist the projectile moving inside the cartridge case. If it moves out, you can have bad results. It can plug your chamber, mm. uh, you know, uh, propellant can leak out. You have a non-functioning cartridge. If it sets back inside the cartridge, your pressures increase. And that means the bullet's going deeper in the cartridge. Deeper into the cartridge, right. And pressures increase and not on a linear basis either. You know, as you push them back further and further, and further all of a sudden you have a spike in pressure and your gun detonates. Hmm. Neither one are, are very desirable attributes, obviously, but the, the most important one is, you know, the ammunition that you basically bet your life upon, if called upon, yeah. becomes damaged in a chambering and unchambering cycle very quickly. The heaviest portion of the cartridge being the lead projectile, it will, it gets a kick in the rear end when the slide gets released and chambered, and then it comes to a sudden stop as it comes into battery. It's, it does not take a lot of repetitions for that cartridge juncture to become unhinged somewhere and people argue you can do it once twice three times I don't know what the right number is and I think it really varies upon you know the weapon type the strength of the recoil spring the weight of the slide all those things but I have seen on many occasions especially in AR-15 rifle systems mm. that the cartridge goes through a very punishing process of climbing up that sharp shouldered feed ramp until it finally sits in the chamber so you know my my, my police friends you know, know me about harping about that all the time. You chamber around on a hot call, it gets unchambered. It should go in the practice pile after that. It should not be something that you bet your life upon after that. Agreed. And I've uh, seen it with you know, patrol rounds. You know, it's as simple as round gets chambered to you know, go on a call or, or do whatever the task is at hand, and that round gets recycled. And it doesn't take long if you compare that round to brand new duty rounds, and you can very obviously see that difference of that seating depth of that bullet and it makes a big difference yep and you know the and that's only one of the factors if, if you look at the the cartridge casing the, the brass case whatever you want to call it they get scraped very heavily mm, when yeah. you climb up a ramp especially with an ar-15 sure if you get a couple scrapes in the right spot or in the same general area that cartridge case can rupture during firing it won't hurt you because that stoner system is so has so many layers of safety, but your weapon just became a single shot weapon. Yeah, and that's not what we want. Even for a, a competitive shooter, defensive situation, law enforcement, uh, all would be very bad news. All undesirable, yep. So speaking of rifles, a common question that I know a lot of people have is whether it's a rifle for home defense or more commonly that what I see my kind of real world is a patrol rifle. Let's talk about what someone would look for in a patrol rifle round, because sadly there are some companies and even some rounds out there that are for lack of a better term, you know, varmint rounds or a coyote round. And they're good for those type of a things, but then they're maybe marketed or even used as a duty round. And I, I just don't think that's the best choice. So maybe you could share kind of some of your insight and knowledge of what you would recommend or what agencies should look for in a duty round that they would use in a patrol rifle. And maybe 
you know, touch on SBRs versus patrol rifles because sure. we all know velocity does make a difference with the AR-15. Yeah. And the AR-15 is a wonderful weapon system for, for personal defense and law enforcement because it can deliver a projectile at far, far more than 2,200 feet a second. That number is that juncture where human tissue really becomes rupturing. That's the speed that makes rifle wounds look so much more significant than handgun wounds. And, you know, the AR-15, the 2 to 3 delivers that in spades, speed. The problem is we finally have a weapon that delivers something that significant that can damage peripheral organs even if the bullet does not directly hit them. And then we choose a projectile that's designed for a two-pound varmint that disintegrates explosively upon impact. Yeah. You know, no ricochet, no through and through. Everybody goes home happy except the varmint. The problem is what works on a two-pound varmint does not work on a 200-pound varmint. You know, the, the same rules of disabling a human being hold true for the rifle round as they do for a pistol round. Namely, you have to reach the vital organs. You have to create maximum destruction in the upper thorax, the vital organs, where, you know, the ventricles of the heart, the, the tips of the lungs, the airway, the, the aorta, all that, that valuable real estate sits. You have to get there. If you can't break a breastbone because the bullet shattered, turned into pieces, mm. you might have a big surface wound that looks impressive, but your opponent is not ceasing his or her hostile action. In other words, the necessary penetration that we define for the handgun round is also valid for the rifle round. So a bullet must hold together to cause a wound that's deep enough to destroy a vital organ. And since we can't choose our angle of engagement, when the bullet comes from here, we don't need a lot of penetration depth. We're, we're in the upper mm -hmm. chest pretty quick. But what if I have to engage my opponent from here because he or, he or she is on top of my partner, whatever the case may be. Now I have to break skin, I have to break bone, muscle, exit the arm, re-enter the chest cavity, and before you know it, I need 12 plus inches to get to where it counts. If you don't have a projectile that does that, even the potent two to three will not help you. And you know, we have cases all the time now, law enforcement sees it all the time, multiple rounds, center of mass, beautifully delivered, suspect did not cease the hostile actions. Why? The projectile shattered on the breastbone. Massive open wound that is about an inch deep, doesn't cause anything. There is a website that I would recommend. It's le.vistaoutdoor.com. It's nothing more than a big portal, but when you look at wound ballistics, you will see all our tactical products going through the FBI wound ballistic protocol, and you can see the depth, the penetration, the expansion of each, of each projectile, so you can tailor your projectile for the task at hand. And I think that's really relevant info. A lot of people don't necessarily always remember the FBI testing protocol, but that is not just shooting through gelatin. Correct. You know, or just into gelatin, excuse me. We're shooting through clothing, through glass, through plywood, through sheet metal, through sheet rock. You know, there's a lot of, you know, real world applicability to those tests. Very and then it shows you what the round looks like in the gelatin. Yep. And behavior changes radically across those barriers. The, the goal obviously is for us as ammunition manufacturers to have projectiles out there that are as consistent and predictable as possible even through those barriers, and then deliver the fight-stopping damage that we're looking for. Yeah. So what should people look for if they are picking a patrol rifle? You know, if they have the luxury, uh, maybe it's a smaller agency, they can choose their own ammo, or maybe you guys are the ones who influence that decision where you can pick the ammunition for the agency. Bonded rounds, soft point, a hollow point, a Sierra boat tail hollow point. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of information out there that people think, oh, these are good, but some of those rounds are just paper cutters is really what they're designed for. Very much so. Speaking for the, the 223, 5.56 and the AR-15, I think there's so much violence and there's so much velocity in a round coming in between 26th 
hundred and three thousand feet a second, depending upon barrel length, that the bonded round really pays its dividends. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to get a projectile to hold together when it arrives with that kind of violence and then hits something solid like a human being. Uh, some of the best results uh, we have are, you know, our, our, our gold dot line of projectiles, our fusion MSR line of projectiles, and the, probably the flagship, you know, in use by the FBI and many other federal agencies, as well as local and state agencies, is uh, the tactical bonded. 62 grain. 62 grain is one of those. It comes in a 55. It's actually a welded bullet. Yep. This bullet is so tough that it can defeat things like windshield glass, breast bones, thigh bones, all these big significant obstacles that can get in the way. Yeah, it's a great round. I know uh, I've used that as a duty round. Now, for short barrel rifles, maybe the guns that don't have enough barrel length to get to that 26, 27, maybe they're hovering around that 22, 21 feet per second, 2100 feet per second. What would your recommendation be for that? That's a very, very good point that you bring up. Uh, a lot of us are going to short barrel rifles, especially in law enforcement. The, the issue with that is when you bleed off velocity, and that's what short barrel rifles do, obviously, they launch projectiles slower. There's a certain point where the projectile moves so slowly that it is no longer enough energy upon impact to make that projectile deploy and expand. In the case of the tactical bonded 62 grain, for example, we know out of an 11 inch gun, somewhere between 125 and 200 yards, that projectile no longer opens up. At that point, you really have a hyper-stabilized drill bit, which just doesn't stop. It goes and goes and goes. So. Uh, some of us have endeavored to design ammunition that is tailored for the velocity spectrum of a short barrel rifle. The first and foremost coming from our uh, line would be the 75 grain gold dot. It's tailored specifically for the weapons in the 9 inch to 12 inch range. Performs very well, but is strong enough because it is bonded to still hold together out of a 16 or even 18 inch gun. Nice. Well, that sounds like a great choice and uh, for people to look at with short barrel rifles. Very much so. Again, can we get that webpage one more time? Le vistaoutdoor.com and we're going to put a link in the description below as well as on the screen for you guys to check out and that's a tremendous resource for ballistic information because it has all of that fbi testing protocol and pictures of the gel which is awesome yep. too it's not just your word for it it shows some images too yep. now another real quick thing that i like about federal and i know other ammunition companies do this as well but every lot of law enforcement ammunition that you guys make you test with ballistic gel to FBI protocol. Yep, it's, it's what we in-house refer to as an upset test. Yeah. So it, it gets shot into ballistic gelatin to make sure that, you know, let, let's say one of our tooling broke mm -hmm. and our skiving depth, which are the serrations in, in, in the jackets, is not the correct depth. It fails to open up or it falls apart. We need to be able to see that before it gets loaded and gets sent out to the end user. How much gel do you go through on a daily basis? Oh, we have a... We have a gigantic dumpster in our yard, and that thing gets emptied out every day. It's, it's got to be in the thousands of pounds. <laughs> and it's really, really special on a hot day like this. <laughs> it smells really good. Yes, it's a special experience. <laughs> Sounds like a really good dumpster. Well, there you have it. Again, some great knowledge that truly is invaluable. And to get this content uh, from a real-world ballistics expert hopefully helps you guys in deciding what are some good ammunition choices for you, not only in your handgun, but also your rifle. If you guys like the content, make sure you subscribe. We are wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this style of content, we also have a bunch of videos on primarily our YouTube channel. You can find that by searching Guns and Tactics or for all of our social media outlets, news updates on everything firearms related and more info and resources. Make sure you check us out online at gunsandtactics.com. Thank you guys very much for listening. I look forward to seeing your comments and don't be afraid to email us if you have any questions. Our email address for our end of the month QA episode is theqa at gunsandtactics.com. That's theqa at gunsandtactics.com. Thank you guys very much for listening and have a great day.